Hi, this is Courtney Ronan. I'm Director of Sales and Business Development at TitleVest, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hi, this is Joshua Bolden, Director of Co-op Policies and Products at TitleVest, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Real Talk Podcast, episode number 82. Wow. The previous episode was an interesting one. Didn't get any feedback on it because I guess people don't want to talk to just, they don't want to listen to just me. They want to listen to other interesting guests. But I did a, an episode of being in the business for 15 years and the 15 lessons I've learned. More than Congratulations. 15, more than 15 lessons. Say. More than 15 lessons. I actually, after the I recorded the episode, I realized I should have said, I should have talked about more rules or more things that I've learned in the past. But any event, 15 lessons in 15 years. Please years. check that out. Please check that out when you can or if you have time to. But today, I'm going to go into something a little bit more interesting, a little bit more niche in the New York City market. Uh, we are recording in an undisclosed location in New York City, aka the headquarters of Compass flagship Woo-hoo. office. As a matter of fact, we moved most of our staff from the 95th Avenue office into this office in the last right. two months. So it's significantly busier. It feels like our office culture is starting to come back. It's pretty buzzy out there. It's buzzy, especially in the third floor lobby. It's very buzzy. You're right. Buzzy is a good terminology. We are sitting here in the heels or the cusp of summer about to begin. The weather is great. When's the next talk summer comer? Well, the talk summer comer, actually one year ago from yesterday was when I had the one hotel party. Did you know that? I did. Yeah. I saw all the photos again. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I was on Christine's bachelorette in Mexico. Well, I would say last year is just as lit as this year. We're just doing different things. That's right. And that goes on. Here we are. (laughs) And here we are back at 110 Fifth Avenue where it all began. The podcast is produced by us, the talk team. Is it post-produced, edited by the talk team, created by the talk team? I'm here with my team, Ray. Say hello. What's up, guys? Ying, just started with us. Hello. Hello, Ying. Ying is from Bensonhurst, New York. Woo. Welcome. She BK, is, baby. She is uh, a, almost, she is currently a student at Baruch and is studying, mar- studying marketing. And she was, says she said to graduate next year. I, I like her resume. She's a hustler. She works two jobs while going to school full, full wow, time. Yeah. So you were a you were working in the restaurant business, right? Yeah. You were wow. a bartender or a server. server. Yeah, great, great job. I was serving all my life. So I uh, got to respect Smart. the hustle of going to school during the day and then serving at night. It's not easy. And you also run that? and help your family business, correct? Yeah. And your family business owns a store in Bettenhurst, yeah. which is a it's a dollar store, was it? Yeah. So, you know, That's the hustler. Mentality transcends into real estate. So welcome to the family. And I'm also here with Danielle Stell. Hey, everyone. You were in Philly for a friend's first baby shower? Yes. Oh. Your friends are having babies? Your friends are having babies already. Wow, they're really ahead of the game. Congratulations. (laughs) They are very, well, in New York terms, that's very ahead of the game. Yes. Yeah, Danielle's only 30 years old. That's a lot. In New York City, that's a baby. (laughs) In any event, so today uh, we're here to talk about Eagle 9 policy. Many people do not know what Eagle 9 is, and we'll get to the depth of, depth of what the policy is, what title is, what co-ops are, what condos are, and all of that. But before we get into detail, let me introduce you to, the, to my guests for today. Courtney Ronan, after college, 
hailing from the uni uh, Lehigh University, the, the Mountain Hawks, the one and only. She worked at Goldman Sachs for three and a half years in Salt Lake, right? Salt Lake and then New York. Yeah, so SLC. Shout out SLC. That's right. And New York as an investment management division. She joined Urban Compass afterwards in 2013, six months six months before I joined the team as one of the first Ten years licensed ago. agents. You were licensed, right? Do you still have yes. your license? No, it no. lapsed. It lapsed. Okay. I let it lapse you can always COVID. easily renew it, but in yeah. any event. So you did have your license. While at Urban Compass, Courtney's role like, uh, varied from week to week, day to day, hour to hour. It was a yeah, small startup. Much. Small, sweaty <laughs> startup. You were nimble. You did everything from onboarding agents to managing the life cycle of newly hired people to engage them into the product that we have, the technology yes. products that we have, yes. which actually are not that much different, but more robust than when you used to work here. So the foundation of the collections and listings and search, the, you're, it's essentially the same as when you were here. Starting and in those were, dog days. When you were training those agents on our new tech platform. Marketing. So you were there and you also did product you know helped with product releases and marketing and things of that nature but most importantly you were the you were essential in the developing you may not know this josh but she was essential in forming what is the top team today that's right almost nine years ago when i joined i had my associate jennifer baker shout out jenny, jenny. You call her JB. JB. and when hey. she was on her way out we were interviewing for other roles to replace jenny baker and what was the cornerstone of hiring on the talk team uh, was the hiring of Danielle Stout. And who did I have interview Danielle Stout? I can't obviously be the interviewer or someone else needs to interview right. with me we as well. We need so. a third party with a cool head on their shoulders. Somehow I was selected. That's right. So Danielle, this is a cute story, right? She, she it was about, it was drove July? into New York City with her mother. Yes. Yes. And her, wasn't her mother in our office or something? She was waiting outside. No, she was like waiting. Yeah, like <laughs> across the street in the yeah. sweltering heat. Was it June it or was July? In April. Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was April. April. Oh, you hadn't graduated yet. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, we had a little connection that we had. We I posted a little job posting in, in our alumni Lehigh portal. That's right. And we had a couple of Lehigh kids come by that day. That's right. One of them was an interesting individual with a Facebook profile with his mother. Yes. Right. He was a Fiji frat bro. Yep. You gotta love you gotta love someone that loves their mom, but it's also interesting to have that on your social profile. Social yeah. media profile. Cut that one loose. <laughs> we had Danielle come in and the second she left, she wasn't even in the elevator yet. And Talk was like, We gotta hire her. I said, Play cool. <laughs> Let her have the day. I was day. like, Do we have to hire her? Like, we gotta hire her. We gotta, should, I, should I tell her now? Back in. Should, should I tell she her now? Back in? I said, No, she should <laughs> probably go get her mother from the street <laughs> and drive home. Yeah. So that was nice. What was cool about that is also at the time, like I had Gordon and Refkin call you. And yes. Refkin actually, Refkin himself, the CEO, uh, called you to solidify the decision to make sure that, you know, things will be okay. And things will be okay. Uh, will be okay. <laughs> the the company is legit. Operations are good and solid. So long story short, it's been eight years. That's crazy. Can you believe that? Uh, for the first time thankful, we went for drinks too. Oh, yes. B-Bar. B-Bar. Bar. Rest in peace. No longer there. Bowery on 4th, right in front of Very our much. other favorite bar, Thebes. But yes, yeah, B-Bar, no Thebes longer there. Thebes is still standing? Thebes is still standing. Wow. And what about the other one uh, next door to B-Bar that was kind of a dive, but there's a DJ in the back? Swift. I think that's still there as well. Swift. Remember that bar? Called something else, though. Yeah. Is it called something else? Maybe. Yeah. And then the most haunted house in New York City is directly in front. A little yeah. history of Bowery and 4th. Yeah. In any event... I'm also here with Joshua Bolden. Josh is the co-op underwriter and department manager with TitleVest with over 11 years of experience handling Eagle 9 title insurance and co-op transaction. 
Josh hails from Central Ohio, a graduate of University of Dayton, and has lived in New York City, in the New York City area, for 18 years. As the emperor of Eagle Nine in call policy and call transactions, Josh oversees 2,000 closings a year and runs a team of six assisting in those transactions. We're going to get into details of what Josh does and his specialty. Please follow him. I will put him in the show notes. Josh Bolden's LinkedIn. He has no other social media, he which is, is phenomenal for this day and age. And I'm a wraith. Courtney Ronan, Ronan the Barbarian. Uh, on Instagram, which you may find in the show notes. Side note, funny story. I was in Cancun for a wedding two weeks ago. Shout out to my good friend, Brittany Rockhill. X Compass, now the, the, the number one GCI female broker in Colorado. That's right. Yeah, for Element. So it's really, really awesome. She's just doing very, very well. But her son's name was named Ronin. And I said, why did you name your son Ronin? Ronin in Japanese is a freelancer or like a rogue. I thought it was agent, a rogue warrior. Like a rogue. Uh, it's not a warrior. It could okay, be, it so could that be. movie wasn't a direct it translation. Could be. Yeah, it could okay. be, but it's not a direct translation. But okay. uh, she was like, well, I didn't know any Ronins, and, and the only Ronin that I knew in my life was Ronin the Barbarian. That's right. <laughs> she actually <laughs> mentioned your name. So I thought well, I am the reason of her son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried to use so, that same tactic with my son, but we'll see. Oh, wow. So are, you, are you already going to talk about this publicly? <laughs> I guess we'll save it for First of all, I didn't know it was a son, so that's good to know. I did. I told yeah. you. Oh, okay. All right. So. And you said, oh, Reiterate it. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll maybe go into that a little later. But for now, <laughs> let's switch gears, and we are going to go into the quick hitter questions. Please answer the following words, both of you. You can go first, Josh. Uh, I'm going to say a couple words. The first word that comes into mind. First word is AI. Terrifying. Chat GPT. Okay, terrifying. It's interesting. Second <laughs> word is social media and real estate. Also terrifying for you? Difficult. Difficult. Oh, yeah. boy. Indeed. Necessary evils. Mm, okay. Do you want to shout out any favorite social media handles you follow? Uh, in the real estate hemisphere, not in your personal life or your... Talk Yamaguchi. Oh, ta oh, uh, oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, the Broke Agent. Broke Agent's hilarious. Um... Are you familiar with any of them? No. Oh, not yet. Please. What about um, my title vest? What about Sean McPeak? Social media. Sean McPeak has a good Instagram <laughs> game. <laughs> That's a highlight right there. <laughs> the way you said it with such confidence. Okay, next, moving on. Joshua? Closing costs. Excessive. Great. But necessary evil. Necessary evil. Okay, good follow up. Josh, Manhattan commercial sales market. Fluctuating. Ugh, just evil. Just evil, yeah. It's, it's hurting. Yeah, it's tough. Manhattan residential market? Confusing. On the upswing, hopefully. New York City office buildings. Empty. Ouch. San Francisco office buildings. Pass. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> Blockchain technology? Overrated. A cornerstone of certain facets of the real estate industry. Miami real estate? Have to pass. Also a necessary evil. That's doing very well. Okay. Emphasis on evil, right? Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. New York State real estate policy from a viewpoint of politicians. 
Uh, troubling. Troubling. Okay. Same? Yes. Okay. Rent stabilization and rent control? Uh, good ideas not done all that well in practice. Poorly executed. Co-op land leases, condo land leases. <laughs> uh, not for me. Not for me either, but we'll do them. <laughs> we'll do the policy. We'll do them for work. We'll do them for work. Okay. New developments in New York City. Uh, bring them on. Yeah, we need new lifeblood. Brooklyn or real, Brooklyn real estate market or Manhattan real estate market. I know what Courtney's going to say, so I will say Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. Compass. <laughs> cuties. Compass cuties. Welcoming. Real estate attorneys. Sir <laughs> Evil. No, I'm just kidding. I love them. I love them. My best friends. Yes. Best friends. That's sure. true. Of course. I'm joking. They are. The necessities to the process, the very complicated process okay, of New well, York City. Shout out to the friend of the pod, Andrew Georges, for handling, handling so many of our episodes and also handling majority of my deals. So, yes, he does. So, you know, talk about necessary evil. I mean, we need them. And I don't know how other markets go by without attorneys. I, it blows my mind that... No, that, think about uh, the amount of work. We'll get into this when we talk about Real estate agents that barely graduated high school are handling contracts in Colorado. Contracts. Yep. The only prerequisite to obtain your license for real estate is to not be a felon. And you have to pass right. a test, right? 40-hour <laughs> yes. test or whatever it is, yep. a 60-hour test. And then you're expected to handle contracts for some of the biggest assets of your life, of a consumer's life. To me, it seems kind of interesting that the state of New York seems to have it together in that aspect. Yes, necessary evil, but absolutely necessary, as opposed to some of the other markets outside yeah, of absolutely. the tri-state region where attorneys are just not involved. It's fascinating. Yeah. I had a friend who relocated from New York to Michigan, and I was helping with the process just because I work in real estate, and I was shocked that, number one, there was no attorney involved, and that her broker was overlooking things that I, as someone with no familiarity with how Michigan works necessarily, still know enough to know why is this not being addressed this would be caught by any lawyer who would be handling this in new york yeah so it is it is it absolutely uh underlines the importance of having attorneys handling transactions here i think title companies and we're going to get into this but title companies have a bigger presence in the transaction outside of new york and new jersey and connecticut because the absence of attorneys, am I correct? Correct. Because yes. they're the ones handling the, the contract the deposit. Yes. So if it's, whether it's 5%, 10%, 20% contract deposit at contract signing, the money doesn't go into an attorney escrow account, it goes into your account, correct? Correct. correct. Yeah. So it seems like that's a major difference there and you guys play a larger role in overseeing a transaction to make sure it's compliant. Yes, Right. and we obviously are based in New York, but we write in 44 states mm -hmm. plus washington dc so we handle escrow in all those other areas got it just got not it. here yeah no that makes sense so uh, before we get into kind of a deep dive of what you do josh and courtney i'm curious what does it mean to you because we're just talking about other markets when compass is buying up title companies and i'm not a staff at compass you know we're just one of the early agents we have no say in how we operate right. so just just 
just to give you that kind of expectation, just because I'm not saying, oh, go competition, or like, go title investor, go compass. I'm not saying that as a neutral party. You know, Compass acquired, just for an example, a Colorado title and escrow company, uh, a Seattle escrow company, D.C. and Dallas. Yep. Uh, we also acquired a, a fairly large one originally in California as well that came with 70 markets or 80 markets. Now, we in New York City, we don't have much control over title companies and who gets to use title, what title agent person, or who recommends them an Eagle Nine co-op insurance policy. We don't really have any personal benefit or control in who uses title. So, you know, you all both being a seasoned veteran in business, tell us how does that benefit Compass by us acquiring all these title companies? I'll take that one. Um, it doesn't necessarily benefit the consumer. So as someone who prior to TitleVest, I worked for what you would call an in-house title company owned by a larger parent company that owns a real estate brokerage. Um, I used to work for the title company that is owned by Realogy. Uh, just because something is in-house does not mean that it's the best available out there and there aren't necessarily benefits to the consumer or of course the real estate agent. Yes, you can say it makes it ease of use for the transaction, but you know there isn't as much control, especially when it's on a regional level of you know who you're using and the people that you work with. It's very good in any real estate transaction, as you know, to use a separate third party to represent your interests. Like someone that you're paying one way or the other, it should be someone who is independent of the transaction. And that's always the way that we've held ourselves. Um, similarly, there are no, no seeming benefits to you to push a certain title company uh, because- Yeah, because we don't get paid, that's illegal, is, right? It's that not, is illegal. Like if, you, if I give you a deal and you pay me back like a fee, that is that's illegal. illegal. I'll say that. And, I, and I'll be Louder up front, like, for the people will, in the back. I will never, that is illegal. I will never take a referral fee from a title company. It just no. doesn't make sense. Or, or a lawyer, I, lawyer for that Unfortunately, aspect. it doesn't stop them from offering, but it is well, absolutely illegal. You guys, you, you guys used to be able to give even like tickets to like a game, but you can't yes. do that anymore, right? Mm -mm, yeah. Not since December of 2018. A day that will live in infamy. But so like Josh, like do you have any thoughts on like Compass acquiring other title companies? Or not even Compass. I think Element has a title company, right? Yep, they right? do. So like, how does that? How, what do you think about I mean, that? I mean, if is that a conflict of interest? If I were in your position, I would not want to think about the title company. That is the way you I want never the do. title company to operate. Do you, you think about think title about company? TitleVest, yes. The, the doesn't even know what title is. You don't need to think about title when you're using TitleVest because it's the best. Well, yeah, like, like we have seasoned agents coming to coming up to you, our friends, like, so what do you even do? Yeah. <laughs> nameless, these people, these people shall go nameless. Nameless and shameless. But, but yeah, go ahead, please. So the quality of the work matters. The, the product that we sell the product we issue is all the same but the process to get there is what is different yeah. and experience matters uh, knowledge of specific markets matters not even knowledge yes. of specific markets but even sometimes specific buildings that there are just we see this all the time not just in co-ops but condos where there are nuances to the title aspect of it where you don't want to be close to a closing and everyone is scheduling a date where you're all going to sit down and close and the title company says we're not clear because of XYZ. Yeah. You don't want to hear from the title company. We should be the 
we should be in the background. It should be an afterthought that we are ready to close at that time. But so your thoughts on companies like Element and Compass acquiring title companies for you is, are the title professionals of quality? Correct. Is right. what you're saying. Merely having the title company is part one. Mm -hmm. Part two is, are they going to be doing the job you would want if you were independently mm -hmm. selecting a title company? I, as a Compass agent, would hope that the company that they acquired in Denver is a reputable title agency, sure. right? Or the, the Modus in Seattle, which was one of the most expensive acquisitions, are they a reputable title company? I don't know, but you would hope that that would be the case, and then maybe your concerns would be alleviated, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, sure. New York, you're, I think you're, you guys are insulated here because we don't really have a choice on who gets to use title unless I push it or yeah. honestly, I mean, if, it's like, do, if I'm buying myself and I'm like, sure. oh, I need Courtney to you do that You definitely have, the, I mean, especially if you're dealing, which you deal with quite regularly, buyers who are not, they don't live here, they're coming in from different markets. Like you definitely can steer them in a specific direction. The hope is, especially with you, you hold yourself to a very high standard. You're steering them in the direction because you know that whatever the referral source, you know, the referral partner is, they're going to get the job done. That's right. And that really is what it is at the end of the day. Okay. Because when you give a referral, you're giving away a piece of your reputation. That's right, 100%. So, Josh, well, let's, let's go back to you and uh, just on the topic of Eagle Nine. Can you explain in two minutes what exactly that is? And then, as a follow up question for you, Courtney, in two minutes or less, just explain to the entry level users here of what exactly a title policy is for a condo in New York City. Uh, it's difficult to explain without doing a very quick history lesson. I will do an extremely we love quick history. history lesson. Love history. Uh, <clears throat> so, 70s and 80s, uh, New York real estate, if you were a landlord, a very bad time to be a landlord where you're... Worse than now? It's <laughs> <Bad now. laughs> <laughs> rough now. Well, the, the rents are higher. But yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you had non-economically viable properties where the rents you were able to get did not cover the cost of maintaining the building, paying the real estate taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So we saw a huge wave of conversions of buildings that had been rentals into co-ops. Uh, and also prior to, I think, the late 60s, condominiums were not, there was no condominium law in New York. So we had co-ops preceding condominiums in the 60s, big wave of conversions. Where we end up, we have about three co-op units for every one condo unit in New York City. So yeah. co-ops tremendously outnumber uh, condos. Because of history, they do tend to be older buildings uh, because of the restrictions with getting board approval, uh, difficulty financing, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be somewhat cheaper than otherwise comparable condo units. Yeah. Uh, that being said, the title company's role in the past was purely doing an abstract. We would do a search of the land records, very limited what can be searched on a co-op because all of the transactions happen on the books of the co-op board. These are not public records. Everything would be reviewed by the attorneys to the transactions. We'd have a buyer's attorney, seller's attorney, lender's attorney, co-op attorney together analyzing the report that the title company would do, determining that good title is being conveyed, everything left on the attorney to be sure that he or she was correct, 
uh, title company playing no role. Early 2000s, First American Title began doing UCC policies on uh, specifically mezzanine loans. That is what really caused the product to take off. A version of that UCC policy was created in 2005, and it was the Eagle Nine for co-ops. So it is insuring both buyers and lenders, just like a title policy on other real property. And my quick, quick, quick explanation of what it does is it says uh, you are buying from whoever can sell it to you, and you are buying it free and clear of anyone else having some interest in it. So you, ha you are buying this thing, and you are not going to get any problems after the fact. So that is what we do. Uh, Eagle Nine policy uh, priced about one-third the cost of title policies on real property, priced very cheaply, uh, has become more and more popular in the marketplace uh, to address certain situations that are unusual or risky or just uh, a normal part of the process. Anyone who buys a condo is going to pay for an owner's policy and some attorneys take the position that they should do the same on a co-op. So. Okay, go ahead and, and into the back to condos. Um, so Josh really kicked off the intro to what is title insurance, but essentially it's proof that your ownership is free and clear of any defects in the chain of title. Uh, missing heirs, heirship affidavits, liens and encumbrances, and keep in mind if you're buying an apartment, that also is liens and encumbrances at the building level, uh, which transfer to the unit ownership if certain things remain unpaid. Um, similar also to what Josh said, you're gonna have to do it for a condo and a townhouse. Some of these cooperative listings cost almost as much as you know, or if not more. So why should your ownership interest in that, although you're a shareholder, why should that not be protected? Your fiscal interest in the property you're paying just as much again if not more yeah it's, it's a really risky purchase people think you can just buy a property and then just own it outright but there's really no guarantees that that property is in fact actually really yours correct and i'm sure 20 30 years ago before technology there were easy schemes on how to manipulate a, a, a title or how to manipulate ownership on property how do you think technology has changed eagle nine and regular condo titles in the last 10 to 15 years when technology, you said AI was scary. Let's not go there. <laughs> We're not going to go to AI, but how does it change? Or how has it changed technology in the last 10, 15 years? I think even basic advances in technology have made the prospect of title problems riskier. Riskier. Uh, okay. Please elaborate. For the, all the advantages to the increased transparency that we have if we are doing a title search. All the same, it is just as easy for someone off the street to forge a document. Yes. I always There's say, in, just like credit card fraud is rampant, and wire fraud. Wire fraud is rampant. Wire fraud, physical document fraud. I mean, in New York, we're rather advanced across the board, I would like to say, but we still have sit down closings with physical documents, and those physical documents have to be recorded in a county 
whether it's here, whether it's Nassau, Suffolk, anywhere, we're still relying on human and human beings and subject to human error and fraud and things of this nature. The, the closing process in New York remains a very 20th century <laughs> thing. Uh, yes. A lot of the practices have not kept up with, again, why do you think that is? Forget yeah. blockchain or AI, just the, yeah. the basic advances of having, you know, Windows 2000 era. AOL email addresses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think that is? What's the, what the what reasoning behind the lag in the keeping up with the times, especially in New York City? There are so many stakeholders that would need to get on board that yeah. even if brokers, attorneys, uh, management companies, even if they realize that this is in need of reform, you are then also going against the state in getting right. all of these laws amended to keep up with the times. Sure. Um, you know, it, it took COVID for New York to allow remote notarization, something that many states had had in practice for years before. Uh, right. I, I do not doubt that if COVID did not happen, that New York would have never would adopted never. any kind of remote mm -hmm. notarization. Mm -hmm. Is it legally required to have title? And why is title for co-ops or Eagle Nine not being used as often as perhaps maybe it should be? It's a two-part question, so you can start, Courtney. It is not legally required in the state of New York. That said, Interesting. I don't know anyone who has not gotten a title policy. Um, it is required by your lender. So perhaps if you were to buy something in cash, you can forego it. It's a few thousand dollars. I wouldn't pass up that opportunity yeah. to protect your fiscal interest, but that said, your lending institution will require it because similar to the two policies Josh mentioned, they want their fiscal interest protected. So, so title is yeah. legally required by banks if you're Getting a loan. No bank will underwrite a loan for you if you are not getting a title. Just like how HOI is required by the bank if you are getting a loan. Correct. Now, it's not required by, well, it's not bank doesn't require it. If you're buying cash, you technically don't have to pay for title. And Your is that across the board in the U.S.? That is not across the board in the U.S. And in, in others, it's a state-by-state state, uh, state regulation. State. Okay. Your attorney will also most likely require that you get title insurance because don't forget they're in the business of doing due diligence and they also want to protect themselves because if you're not getting your ownership interest protected by an institution you know worth four billion dollars that can withstand a claim that all falls back on the attorney they don't want that of course no way yeah no. why wouldn't they take down the risk and as a cynical but true point when you have the title company involved at that point many of the post-closing issues that you don't want to address after the closing you've Someone got you've gotten paid it. for this already so anything you do up, at that yeah. point is going to be pro bono but if you have the title company involved these things are likely the problem for the title company to resolve my next question for you is if the banks require title insurance legally for condos why don't they legally require it for co-ops? Interestingly enough, we're getting more and more of those requests. It is, it is becoming, it, very slowly, it is becoming accepted in the marketplace by some lenders that they're taking that same 
stance. position you did, which is why, why this and not that. Okay, but it's not legally required. It is not. Yes. What is what really drives it is what is part of the Fannie Mae requirements for underwriting, and interestingly, there's no requirement for title policies on co-op loans in New York. There are some states that have far fewer co-ops where that is a requirement by Fannie Mae. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, so are buyers taking on less risk from a title perspective when they're buying a co-op? And if so, why? And what's the difference? That's historically been the uh, conventional wisdom that uh, because you may not have a title company who is the uh, arbiter, the independent party who is verifying title, that instead you have the co-op board uh, where they are consenting to a transfer, that they are not going to uh, allow a party to convey bad title. Uh, and that if there is a title problem, that the buyer would then have recourse against the co-op or its transfer agent for uh, permitting a transfer uh, that they should not have permitted. So it's always been seen as a backstop that the co-op board and through the transfer agent sort of take on a quasi title role um but i think that's trending in the direction of they don't want that responsibility on their shoulders necessarily either i mean nowadays unlike a title your average title policy which you seek out when the contract is signed if not sooner if we're going to run a due diligence report for you which we're happy to do an eagle nine often, although we're trying to work on this not happening, often comes up at the last minute at the closing of, oh, so-and-so showed up, they don't have the stock and lease. The, now, I mean, most often the managing agent will say, forget it, call Title Vest, you need to get an Eagle Nine, we don't. Yeah. Sure. We're, not gonna, we're gonna delay. Got it, got it. You know, the, <clears throat> the main difference between an Eagle Nine policy and a regular condo in, uh, title insurance policy is maybe the, from my view, point of view, is the fact that one co-op owns not land, but just a stock, and the title, you're actually owning the physical land, right? So what are the inherent common risks on an Eagle 9 policy that are mitigated at, outside of, obviously, you don't own land? So what are the other risks? A lot of it does boil down to the fact that the co-op is treated as personal property, not mm -hmm. real property. And in many ways, the, the treatment of personal property differs from real estate. And there are commonly mistakes made treating a co-op like it is real estate. Um, yes. Something that is very common is the idea that um, if someone were to own property individually, and they die. If it is a condo, it passes by operation of law to their heirs it, because it is real estate. A co-op is treated as personal property. Well, it depends on how it's owned, right? Tenants in common, tenants by entirety, yeah. right? So it gets passed, surpassed the, the partner or right. the heirs. Right. Right. But there are instances where uh, an heir is the title holder of real estate by virtue of the individual who owned died and they are the heir at law. Mm -hmm. A co-op is treated as personal property and title can only be conveyed by the personal representative of the estate. So meaning if 
I were to die and I owned a co-op individually, uh, my next of kin would not inherit it. Uh, it wouldn't matter if I had a will that was not probated and said I give everything to so-and-so. Uh, I named Courtney as the executor of the estate of the late Joshua Bolden. Only Courtney can convey title right. to my co-op. Right. Um, so you see there with the distinction between the way that it is treated um, that there is an opportunity then for problems with the estate. It may not be clear if Courtney shows up and she has a certificate saying that as of three months ago I was appointed the Conveniently, executor of I'm his estate. Conveniently I'm the executor, yes. Uh, there may be other issues at play. There may be uh, other heirs who are contesting the process. Uh, there may be parties who are saying I was specifically bequeathed this apartment, I need to consent to the sale. Uh, if I were fortunate enough to uh, have to pay estate tax on my estate, uh, the moment I die, estate tax liens from New York State and the IRS attach to the unit. Right. Uh, those need to be addressed before Courtney can sell my unit to a third party. So you are not buying an apartment that it turns out is subject to an estate tax lien. I would advise that you don't. <laughs> You would advise that they don't. Yeah. And the other, and I will do this on the most surface level possible because this is the part where eyes will roll into the back of people's heads. Try uh, us. I had mentioned that the Eagle Nine is a UCC policy. Uh, the Uniform Commercial Code is what governs co-op transactions. They're treated as secured transactions. So uh, lenders and even the co-op board itself for its lien on maintenance, it is all governed through the Uniform Commercial Code. And that is something that is rarely looked at or relevant on real estate transactions, but is the bread and butter of what we do. And the UCC itself has changed many times over the years. It can be very confusing as to what may or may not still constitute a lien. And technology, for better or worse, we are now, as a title company, able to find items we could not find in the past. And you are now seeing items that may or may not matter from the 80s, 90s, 2000s uh, that are out there. They are a cloud on title and need to be addressed one way or from what you're saying, it seems like it's really risky to purchase property from an estate, especially in a co-op. Yes. Am I right? The transfer is complicated. The executor uh, of the late Joshua Bolden and the you as the executor, executrix, yes. as they would say, yes. uh, the female version is executrix, would have to go through leaps and bounds to even be able to sell something that and it is. I mean, we have some deals. I have a, a couple that someone sought an Eagle Nine policy on that are still not closed, and they're from two years ago. Two years ago. Because they're still trying to get to the bottom of the estate what issues. What a mess. Yes. That is troubling. That is definitely is. something where you would never want to proceed without getting an, a, a brand new Eagle Nine policy on, correct? No. Now, <clears throat> the, the way the co-ops are structured, when... Let's just say again, we're going back to your passing, unfortunately, you become the executrix. Tricks. How does the board get involved in dealing with the estate 
uh, from the work that you do. And then the second part question is uh, the, the UCC. The UCC laws, who are they meant to protect? Or what? whose interests are they looking after? Are they looking after the co-op or the co-op board's interest? Or are they, are they looking after the government's interest for taxes? Or are they looking after the consumer's interest? Great question. So, you, I mean, you can start first. I guess you yeah, one of you can start first on, on the first question, yeah. I, I would say the the Uniform Commercial Code, I believe, for it makes an attempt to uh, be fair to the consumer as well as the uh, creditors, creditors being in the co-op board and um, lenders. Uh, it's called the Uniform Commercial Code, and one would think that that means that it is uniform across the country, and it mostly is, but the Uniform Commercial Code in New York is slightly different and does specifically address what they call cooperative interests. A cooperative interest is ownership right. of shares sure. and a proprietary lease. Yes. Okay. Um, so there are matters that are specifically spelled out to address a cooperative interest in New York's version of the Uniform Commercial Code um, that at least spell out what is needed if you are a creditor to perfect a lien, what your rights are as a debtor. So I think uh, to give a non-answer, I think that it does... <laughs> your favorite. It, it does attempt to, um, to be a very fair process. Um, okay. Out of the 2,000 or so deals that you do a year, do you have any in the past 12 months that are kind of memorable to you that you were able to resolve because of complications? And I'm sure every deal, like our end, Danielle and I, every deal we do, there's hair on it. I'm sure there's lots of complications and you know, maybe some specific instances or case studies that you found and, and why, you know, thank God the consumer had Eagle Nine or you know, any, any instances that you that come to mind for you? I mean, I, I feel like I could have a different one every single day because uh, <laughs> probably have one. What's the one? Maybe a common one or a complicated one that you're proud of that was resolved. We recently closed on the sale of a it was a twenty five million dollar unit where there were co op. Yeah, okay. co op unit. It was uh, so a lot of money. It thereabouts. Rupert Murdoch. No. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe, maybe Perhaps. not. I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm just throwing it out. I read the real deal. I read a lot. Okay, go ahead. However, um, perhaps that deal. Uh, the owner was an extremely wealthy individual. Um, and as happens, uh, the IRS is not going to just say, all right, you paid your estate taxes. When you file your estate taxes and you are worth hundreds of millions of dollars as this individual was, the estate will be in audit for years to come. Um, it's true. You may not, as a buyer or someone representing a buyer, you may not get the complete sign-off from the IRS that, all right, we have done everything this is, you have a clean slate, the end. In fact, when the IRS gives releases that are specific to a property, it will still reserve their right to come back if circumstances change. So it's almost like, well, what are you saying? You're saying, this is yours unless I decide later that it's not yours. So there is qualitative analysis that has to go in where you make a determination that are we comfortable if we may not have uh, the IRS estate tax liens expiring or 
definitively resolved? Are we comfortable that we have looked at the liquidity of the estate and the representations we the that we're right. getting? Um, so that kind of work that is not ever necessarily going to show on just a co-op search where you're not going to even see an estate tax lien is not something that gets filed in the land records. It, it's a lien that becomes a lien the moment one dies if they're subject to estate tax. Got it. Um, but beyond that, so how was it resolved? I guess is the question is, how do you resolve a, an, an issue with an IRS, which I feel like is just kind of a giant that you can't touch or move? It was us as the title company making the determination that we have, we have enough comfort with what we have seen that we can take a bit of the risk that there will be an issue on this, mm -hmm. but we are comfortable with what we've been provided, what we have looked at with not just the estate taxes, but uh, the unit was also previously owned by the predeceased spouse of the decedent and looking at the process of her estate. Was her estate properly handled when mm -hmm. the personal representative of her estate transferred to our decedent? So all of these matters that are not necessarily apparent in land records that we do uh, off the record, that we, that we are looking at, that we are working with attorneys and doing searches in courts to right. be comfortable to be the ones to take that leap where the attorney may not be able to say, yes, you are 100% getting this free and clear of the estate matters. The title company is 99.9 9% confident here and for a relatively small amount of money on a $25 million apartment this will now be their problem mm -hmm. and when you go to sell which is often when the <laughs> title policy first makes an appearance up. is when you are selling uh, it is an easy way then to paper over the problems that previously would have affected the property and you know your attorney won't be there when you go to sell most likely no Maybe well could depends attorney, on how long but yeah. sure. and the attorney is can advise you on the purchase process but not on the risk like they're you know that that's not something they want on their shoulders so that is the responsibility of the title company and in using someone local to this market that is a leg up uh, you know, we have familiarity with some of these buildings and some, and obviously with all of the buildings and with the estate management process that if you were using an online title company in a different location, they, they, they cannot do that due diligence. Right, right. Uh, when people hire title companies, in New York it's the attorney, buy-side attorney for condos, and I guess for Eagle Nine, buy-side attorneys too. But when they're hired... Sell side attorneys for Eagle Nine. Oh, sell side, okay. When they're hired, who gets paid? How does the pay work for you guys? I remember, you know, when I bought my condo, it was, I thought it was, uh, when I saw the breakdown, I mean, it, the costs range, but they're fixed, but it's a lot, and it's not cheap. So, so how do you guys get paid, and how does the fee work for Eagle Nine and the standard condo purchase in New York City? So luckily for us in the state of New York, luckily for the consumer. Um, and that's just the state of New York? It is in the state of New York and a few other states. Mm -hmm. The rates are determined, the premium rates are determined by the state. And you have to file, every title company all over the, the place has to file their rates with the state. So it's the same. 
you can there are minor differences in what it costs to you know run a judgment and lien search um the patriot search ofac things like that you know it's the cost of the search of what the government agency charges plus a small overhead because obviously the people who are doing the searches here have to get paid um, and that's it so really you're selling a commodity that is the exact same it should be the exact same price if it's not there's might be a problem with who you're using call me i will take a look at it for you um you know you're selling just that it's what someone else is selling at roughly the same price yeah. no one should be sweetening the deal for you yeah. and the price is not commensurate with the risk which is no. <laughs> what separates it from any other type of insurance mm -hmm. if right. i'm getting life insurance and i let's say hypothetically were to lead a life where i barely eat throughout the day barely drink water uh have a couple drinks at nighttime, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just say that I were to do that uh, versus someone who eats well, exercises, et cetera. <laughs> One would imagine that orange a, li every morning a at life seven. insurer would uh, probably charge the healthy person less in their premiums than they would charge someone who is high risk. And as a title company, that is not how our premiums work. We are taking, if it is a million dollar property that is being sold by the original building sponsor, there are no issues whatsoever. Right. Uh, that policy is going to cost the you same. the exact same thing as if you were buying from a property where it has been traded through various family LLCs members. And family uh, members, and, and uh, there's two illegal units in the yeah. basement, um, and yeah. the neighbor's fence runs two feet into your backyard encroachments and encumbrances etc that million dollar property is cost still going to cost the same in premium as the uh absolute cleanest title you could possibly get the so, premium is based on the purchase price so does that make sense, sense to do business analysis. in new york city still i mean i, I don't see how <laughs> that even yeah, is you're telling us it doesn't, it doesn't make, make uh, the, the government, government is overstepping their boundaries perhaps yeah. And were there maybe just some bad actors that were in yes. maybe in the past maybe overcharging or I mean what what is it what's the yes the the thought behind it is that you know the rates negatively impact the consumer based on and this is actually about the the ticketing that you mentioned earlier why I can't take you to Legends uh, seats Legends Suite Yankees. tickets yeah I miss those days. Um, is I didn't even know what Legend Suites were. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> now you'll never know again. If I I'll never know title. again. <laughs> you knew the wrong title, people. Yeah, really. Um, you know, the, they that was said to have had negatively impacted the consumer in the because it was being factored into the rate filings, which, you know, your average title company, no, they're not doing that. But there are people who, you know, obviously the premiums that they get, they were spending on that so that does the thought is that inflates the rates and that's why they came up with regulation 208 which they put back into effect in december of 2018 um, but the average title policy right costs the same whether it's an easy deal or a hairy deal which is crazy but i guess unfortunately you can say the same thing about your broker commissions you could have the easiest sale in the book or the most difficult yeah, I mean, the, the, the penthouse is always way easier to sell than the $300,000 studio in Tudor City. That's, it's un, un, ironic, but it's true.
Titans of Tudor City here. That's right. So if, if a consumer or an attorney were to choose, let's just say, uh, New York Title Abstract Services or New York Title Company or for or Title Vest, right? There's so many companies out there. What's the difference between, you know, maybe you guys being on the sell side or buy side of the deal, if it's equal nine, the sell side, buy side, uh, what's what's the difference? How does that work? If, it's, if the pay is, is if the fees are the same? A, we're here. We're physically located here. We're just north on 42nd Street. The closings are sometimes in your office. Closings are quite often. On 42nd Street. Yeah. Was it 5 East 42nd? Yep, uh, 110. Mm. Andrew loves to close there because it's close to That's where right. he is. That's right. At, around the corner from Tudor City. That's right. So we're we're there, we're always open. Um, we're here and we have the experience. You know, we've been in business since the year 2000 um, and our president is actually celebrating his 20th anniversary next week. Shout out to Brian Tormey. Is he the founder? He's one of the founders. Was he the dentist that turned into uh... No, no. He was, I think he was in, working at a law firm. Oh, he's a paralegal. That. He's a paralegal, yes. Mm. So we have a long-standing tradition with the New York City's finest real estate attorney. And you're familiar with, I mean, we use mostly your website a lot for offering plans. Yes, and I was going to say. So we, we do a lot of work in all of these buildings, which mm -hmm. is another big way that we can help advocate for you and your customers. And look, not everybody can say that. So it's your faith that the job is getting done and getting done well. And we have Joshua Bolden, and certainly not everyone can say that. Right, not a lot of co-op ex expertise, and in people, in, especially I mean, the, the, the length of time that you've been in the business handling co-op buildings, it really is fascinating, such a niche market that I don't think there's probably a lot of other people that have that vast experience that you have dealing with co-ops and dealing with Eagle Nine. It's probably kind of a, like, you talk to Motors in Seattle, they'll be like, what's that, right? They probably don't oh, yeah, know. So it's a kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon, and a niche market that you all are in. Uh, do you have, just to kind of, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but do you have anything else to add on Eagle Nine that, you know, maybe consumers should be aware about or don't know or the how they can get that type of protection? Well, it's easy for you to get that type of protection. You could just get it as a policy through TitleVest mm -hmm. or Eagle9 at TitleVest.com. Um, if you have any questions, reach out and we can send you some materials. But really, it's, it's the only type of insurance that, is retroactively assessing risk instead of forward assessing risk. So it's it's really something you don't want to proceed putting down a significant chunk of your fiscal interest in without really making sure that your interests are protected. You know, you want to protect yourself because everybody else in the transaction is going to be protected. So why shouldn't you? Right. You don't know that. 10 years from now, and it's difficult to think in those kinds of terms, but 10 years from now, when you go to sell, there may have been some advance in technology that allows title companies to find out more than we can find out now. Right. And you have a cloud on title, but right. you produce an owner's policy that says, look, I own this free and clear, and the title company has to stand by this. And this issue that was from the 90s that you found, my title company insured me against this in 2023. Now that it's 2033, I'm giving you this policy and you can go back to the title company who will remain on the hook, standing by this, giving you clean title. Yeah, I guess that's another difference too. So Title Vest is owned by First American, which is you know, one of the largest. First American title. 
first American. Yes. Middle and first, first American, American, the parent companies, Fortune 400 company, um, obviously many billions in underlying assets. So if something were to happen and claim were to be brought, we can pay it out and still be standing, whereas a lot of the small abstract companies obviously unfortunately can't say that. They could be one wrong $20 million away to disappear and completely be bankrupt. And you don't want your title company going bankrupt. No, <laughs> you do not want that. Face of the planet. Josh, to close it up, would you like to say anything else? Thank you for having me. And I would ask anyone who has uh, any questions, comments, or wants to talk about co-ops to reach out to me. Uh, I find myself spending a lot of time not even necessarily talking about specific policies, specific deals, but hypotheticals, um, because there are always, always going to be um, nuances and difficulties in transactions. Yes, and unfortunately, as you pointed for out, everyone at this table. A lot of, the, most title companies do not do co-op underwriting, uh, so I would be glad to uh, offer an opinion, uh, discuss the benefits of the policies, and do so you know, in a very straightforward, non-salesy kind of way. Because Courtney, you can't does the tell sales. by the tone of his voice, but he actually enjoys speaking about these. You are not in sales. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. Do you have anything you want to say to wrap this up to, as, as a takeaway? Sure, I would just say. Please call us for anything. We are in the business of saying yes. We're not just here to do insurable title. We're here to try to move your transaction forward or to let you know if there are impediments to doing so. Um, we want to help. We want to help make this process a little bit easier and more sustainable. So feel free to reach out on anything, um, questions, comments, concerns for Josh's well-being, obviously, and a humongous thank you to the talk team for not just supporting us with this endeavor and inviting us here today, but supporting me in my years long real estate career, going on 10 years in the real estate business, seven in title and talk has been at the cornerstone of that. And of course, Danielle too. And a welcome team. Thanks for having us. So thank you so much for your time. You know, we're a little over, so we're gonna wrap up here, but we I'll put your contacts in the show notes. And again, once again, we discussed Eagle Nine uh, policy and title here in New York City with Courtney Rodin and Joshua Bolden. Thank you very much. And you. we will see you soon. Thank you. Uh, see you soon. <laughs> All right.